With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Excuse me, Veronica. <clears throat> yes, what is it, Brick? I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party, the pants with the pants. Party with pants. Hello and welcome to the Pants Party. I am your host, Harrison Starr. Joining me, as always, Ben Ross. And special guest today, Leah Van, the new Gazette beat writer, uh, is joining us for a a little three-person weave. Um, Leah, I'll start with you. How are you doing? Congratulations on the gig. Well, thank you. I'm doing all right, you know, given I think we discussed the Cowboys loss, which was always disappointing, but you know, I'm I'm all right. I'm all right. <laughs> yeah, all, all things considered. And Ben, how about yourself? Uh, you know, I can't complain. I'll be better if maybe the Bears can lose by 30 here. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I've got no complaints. Uh, uh, people always ask me what my new year resolution is. It's New Year, same Ben, and that's where you're going to begin today. Uh, I feel yeah, like I, I feel like so much of uh, 2020 was just like about surviving for me, and my 2020 resolution is to continue surviving. Uh, kind of a, a running bit on here is uh, how how we've um, my wife and I just had a child, and paternity leave for for me starts in three weeks. So after this week of vacation three weeks of work, and then six weeks of paternity leave. So if I can just get to that, I'll feel uh, like I can make a real effort in, in a new true resolution other than just surviving. So Leah, you, you got a New Year's resolution or, or something you're going to be focusing on? Oh, really putting me on the spot. Um, you know, I do want to do a good job at my new job, obviously. <laughs> I actually listed some of these uh, New Year's resolutions on Twitter, but um yeah, I want to just keep my fitness up, stay healthy, and uh, you know, make new friendships, make new relationships, um, and continue to work on myself as a person. So, I th- those are all very basic, but um, I think that they're attainable, you know. And they always say to make your New Year's resolution attainable and not something that's like super lofty, you know, because then you're not gonna, you're probably not gonna accomplish it, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I feel you there. Uh, the the just moving along once you kind of knock it out go again i've i've tried the book thing in the past i think i saw that you you had that a book a month and i'm like yeah. i'm normally pretty good for two or three months and then just drop off uh but uh maybe just read more read more than last year might be <laughs> the, yeah, the way I, do it. I i did that i'm i was like okay well i managed to read eight books which in all fairness a couple of them were quite long yeah. So now I'm like, okay, if I can just read more than eight books, right? But then I also want to enjoy them. I don't want to read a book just to check it off a list of, you know, numbers, right? So, 
it's almost like, does that really matter, Leah? But, you know, we'll see. Fantastic. Uh, Leah, you are uh, from Texas, and I did want to do a couple fun questions. I think um, one that I had was, well, maybe it's not fun, but what do you miss most about Texas? Because you've been kind of around the block uh, Mason City for a year, it looked like, uh, Steamboat Springs, Colorado, uh, and, and then Evanston in Chicago. So what do you miss most about uh, Texas and, and where you're from? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, I, I miss my barbecue. I miss my Whataburger, you know. Um, it's the simple things in life. Uh, you know, of course, I miss a lot of my friends, but I, I wouldn't say that my friends all live in a singular city in Texas. So even if I were to go back, it's like, I don't even know which city I would want to be in, you know? So I'm going to go with the food. (laughs) Yeah. That's always it for me. The Tex-Mex is always what I miss the most. It's like, oh, we have Chewy's here, but that's, that's not Texican. (laughs) I mean, Chewy's isn't bad, right? Like Chewy's is found in Austin. So, I mean, it's not a bad place, but like, you really want that taco truck that's kind of, you know, in a sketchy part of town and, you know, they're just handing you like fresh baked tortillas. That's, that's my vibe. Yeah. I feel you. The, the best breakfast burritos my wife and flat I found in Dallas were actually at a place that like doubled as a nightclub. It's, it's just the, the most <laughs> random place of all time. Um, so I think that that was one question that I had uh, just to kind of get a, uh, lear- learn a little bit more about you. And after uh, you've been in the Midwest a couple of years and will continue for, for the, the future, do you enjoy the interminable winters of the Midwest more or less than the never-ending summers of Texas? <laughs> oh, God. Um, God, they both suck. I mean, in in their own ways. Of course, I grew up with the summers, right? So that's a little bit more bearable for me. And like, you can solve all your problems with air conditioning. Whereas like with winter, you can have the heat on blast and your toes will still be frozen. And that's really like, that's where it hurts, right? Like that's really just like not, never like achieving warmth is so, it's so hard for me. <laughs> It um, sounds like a sock problem. You just haven't found the right pair of socks yet. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've always hated the cold. Uh, and then once you leave the Midwest, you lose all of all my years. I've lost the, the 22, 23 years of, I don't know, uh, just normal used to being in the cold. It's gone. It's gone. So I hate going back because of the weather. Yeah, I would say every winter I have, you know, like at least one super cartoon-like fall, you know, by slipping on ice. Where, you know, you slip and you literally fall on your back, like a banana peel kind of situation. And I walked outside my apartment and my entire, like, parking lot is iced over. And I was like, this is it. This is when it's going to happen, right? But we'll see. Probably by March. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, Ben, were you saying something? Uh, well, I was saying, you know, you'll, you'll figure it out, but you know, I, I think the opposite, you know, uh, you can never get, you can always strip down to enough layers if you're too hot, 
you know, and air conditioning is worse. The socks, I mean, you can, it, you, you, you just got to find a pair of socks. Somebody got, has to show you a uh, farm and fleet when you're there. Um, and you'll, you'll, that'll, that'll, that'll solve your, your cold toes problem. I think, you know, I, um, I can't handle any type of humidity. That's just not my speed. Uh, I was born in the cold molded by it and it's, uh, all I really know and all I care to know. And, you know, I grew up in Minneapolis and now I live in Chicago. So, um, <clears throat> we, you know, we've got a little bit of that geography going between, uh, Texas with Harrison and me in Chicago, uh, between the three of us. But, you know, more, more importantly, I, I want to know, you know, you, did you grow, you went to Texas for undergrad, correct? Did you grow up uh, a Texas fan? Was that just, was burnt orange in your blood from the day you were born? Actually, no. Oh, um, I'm going to get my question, but keep going. <laughs> I'm going to get a little, I'm going to get dragged through the mud on this, especially by Hawkeye fans. But I actually, actually grew up watching the Michigan Wolverines. Um, okay. So my dad, who passed away when I was very young, um, actually went to the University of Michigan for his PhD. So he loved Michigan football. And um, so I grew up watching a lot of Michigan football. And at the time, Michigan and Texas were both very prominent programs. And Mm -hmm. so I did watch Texas, too. And, you know, I enjoyed it and, you know, whatever. But I really was a Michigan fan first. And I almost went there for school until I realized I wanted to stay close to home, mm-hmm. um, at least for undergrad. So, yeah, I actually grew up watching a lot of Big Ten football. Um, so I guess I'm pretty stoked to be covering this conference, you know? You're back. And so that actually does bring me to my next question as a Texas fan. Um who is your least favorite Big 12 team and why is it Iowa State? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Well, no comment on Iowa State. Uh, <laughs> since they are somewhat tangentially like uh, related to my beat. <laughs> right, I know. I, you know, I, I, I promise no gotcha questions and, and I lied. Oh, man. You know, it's, it's, I would say I would say Oklahoma, right? Which is like the natural instinct. I hate Oklahoma, but I actually have like one of my best friends went to Oklahoma, and so it's like mm, okay, I hate Oklahoma, but I have to say Baylor. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh, it's really annoying. The sexual assault scandal that went down. Oh. Like, <laughs> not a fan of that either. So I gotta say, Baylor is my least favorite. I think I probably agree with you. Baylor might be a top three program of my, I hate the, I hate the most um, right now, even though I've got no reason to really. Uh, We, this podcast is on the heels of some really big news for Texas football. You're, you've got a new head coach, uh, Steve Sarkeesian. And I want, this is going to tie back to Iowa. You know, this is Texas is what second coach in five years. I believe Tom Herman got, Four years before that, uh, it was Charlie Strong over, so second coach in seven years, I guess. But you'll be covering a program now, Iowa, who has had one coach for a decade, for a century, rather. Um, and his son is probably going to be the next coach whenever Kirk decides um, to get cataract surgery. So I'm curious, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious, how are you going to be able to approach uh, cheering for a team that has that turns over coaches um, as a, as the calendar turns, and professionally just going to be covering a team that 
if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Even though if it might be broken, we might just cover it up with some super glue and wait until, you know, like with right, I got, I had a problem with my iPhone recently. It wasn't receiving messages and I didn't do anything for 10 days about it. And now it started receiving messages again. And that's sort of how I feel like our approaches all of its problems. It's just sort of, you know, wait for that scar to go away. How are you going to be able to, uh, you know, approach a team with just such an ingratiated uh, culture built into it? Yeah, I think that's what makes Iowa very unique, right? Like not very, I'm not familiar with the idea of keep, keeping a coach that long, you know? <laughs> I think there's like, a, uh, I think like Kansas, I mean, Kansas State has, you know, and if you're talking to 12, like Kansas State has kept their coach for a very long time. So that's like, that's like my idea of keeping a coach. Um, this is the first time I was ever being compared to Kansas State. So <laughs> I mean, that's like the only way it was actually funny. I think there was a quarterback at Kansas State years ago who was from Iowa. And I and I can't remember his name, but I, I, I remember watching it. And like my editor at the Globus at the time was like, oh, that sounds like an Iowa name. I was like, yeah, right. And we looked it up. He was from Iowa. And I was like, <laughs> well, it was some sort of like Nordic kind of name, right? Um, something that didn't make sense. Um, but, you know, it's, I think it's interesting. I know that, um, I, I, I know like how people, people are very connected to Ferentz and, um, you know, it's like your family. And, and Iowa is a very family oriented atmosphere. So I can't, I, I will say that I think it'll be an interesting culture shock for me. Um, I think it'll be something that I keep in like the back of my head when I'm going to press conferences and when I'm talking to sources is like, I am talking to people who have been around this guy forever, you know, and this guy, like you have an established culture that is embedded in tradition. And, um, I think that's, what's going to make this be very special for me. Um, I, you know, the higher with Texas, like I'm a firm believer and let's see what happens on the field. Right. I mean, same thing with recruiting, like, okay, five-star recruit. Yeah. Like super chill, but let's see what happens when you get on the field. Cause there's booms and busts all over the sport. Right. So maybe I'm going to be pleasantly surprised and call me an optimist, right? Like, call me an optimist. I don't, you know, Leah, you're naive, like whatever. Watch me be right. All right. You know, watch me be right. And if I'm wrong, I will own up to it. All right. I will, because I'm that kind of person. Um, so this, yeah, you know, it's, I went to school in the Charlie Strong era. All right. Mm -hmm. I'm, spent my entire undergrad waiting for him to leave. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't like, I wasn't thrilled. Like I had the last year of Mac Brown. Right. And then I had the three years of Charlie strong and we lost to Kansas for like the first time in 93 years, 92 or 93 years. Oh my God. <laughs> and literally like the next year, uh, you know, we got, you know, Tom Herman comes in and everybody's like, Oh, well, we're good now. And all this stuff. I was like, we got to beat Kansas. I am not convinced or, or Maryland until we beat Kansas. And we also lost to BYU twice. We lost to Maryland twice. I mean, it's just, I was like, everybody's like, oh, well, why do you fire Charlie Shaw? I was like, why, why would we, why, why would we not fire someone when we lose to Kansas? Really? 
Um, the Herman firing, I was a little bit more surprised about, you know, because I, I guess they had like taken the stance of like, we'll keep them. And it's a pandemic year. There's all kinds of things going on. But then I also wasn't like shocked that the boosters had forced them out. So. I mean, yeah, exactly. Herman went seven and three in an asterisk season this year, two years removed from a sugar bowl. Um, <clears throat> I, I think the fun, the best, most succinct way I think I saw it described was uh, hiring Steve Sarkeesian instead of, and firing Tom Herman is like passing a Chili's to go to Applebee's. I saw that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, no disrespect either. Um, Chili's is just superior, I think. Uh, I like them yeah, both. Pro Chili's. Yeah. But uh, it, it's funny, I, I guess. You know, you, you mentioned the boosters uh, at Texas just being so they basically run the, you know, run the program. That's same part of the reason why I believe Matt Brown left. Iowa doesn't really have boosters. And I guess you're going to be, you know, the access, I think, to the program. It might be even less button up, less button up than it used to be. You know, before this year, freshmen weren't allowed to tweet. They weren't allowed to be on social media of any kind, really. And now, you know, I'm not too familiar. I'm not sure how familiar you are with what happened in the locker room this past summer. And uh, I mean, Harrison and I talked about that at length. But it's going to be you coming in at a really interesting time for this program. That is sort of ha- the, this will be the greatest uh, changeover in really culture I think uh, th- this team has ever had. And uh, how are you going to be able to, I guess, um, uh, approach that w- with your point? I know you've already done done some things with that, with that angle of uh, race permeating uh, a certain program. You know, uh, your piece with the Friday Night Lights uh, Odessa Permian football program. Uh, you know, it's people thought that that was going to. T- dominate what uh everything that happened with this football team this year and it really hasn't uh the first you know i got off to a really slow start and people were uh really scared about you know maybe kirk has lost his handle on his team and uh the problems that reared their head over the summer are taking over uh, but then you know they rattle off six straight wins and probably could have been seven or eight straight wins if Sorry, Michigan had decided to play a football game in Missouri, had taken COVID a little bit more seriously. Um, so I guess, does that go, do you take that into account, I guess, when you're uh, doing your your first boots on the ground reporting here for this Iowa program? Yeah, I mean, I certainly, you know, I'm, I, I already have done some preliminary research on what's been going on with the program and that went into my interview process and how, like in some of my plans on like stories that I do want to tackle and people I want to talk to. Um, and I, I don't know if you've noticed this from my Twitter, but I am a very empathetic person. So, um, you know, a lot of, there are some journalists that don't come from a place of empathy and that's like totally how they do their job and it's fine. I think that, you know, we all approach things differently and, Wright Thompson, who's one of my favorite writers, says that he approaches most of his story subjects, or if not all of them, with empathy, right? And so I'm here to listen to people's stories. They don't have to give me the time of day, but I'm fortunate enough that they're going to, right? And so, and I've done a lot of research when it comes to like racial um, injustice and all those things. And, you know, I had classes on how to approach things like, you know, covering the Colin Kaepernick, you know, issues and like the way that the media may, you know, 
fell short of covering that issue in the right way, you know? And um, so I took a class like Media and the Marginalized. I took J.A. Adande's Sports and Society. Um, and then I also took J.A. Adande's like sports commentary class and where he encouraged us to read the autobiography of Malcolm X, which I just finished. So, um, you know, I am a white Jewish female. I don't know what it's like to live as a black man in society. And I have to come into an interview knowing that, it, like not assuming anything, you can't assume anything when you are a reporter. So I, I would say when it comes to any sort of beat is I'm here to listen to people's sides and listen to the, their stories. I'm here to report the facts. I'm here to report what they tell me. And then I'm going to let everybody else make the judgment call. Right. And that that's how journalism should work is you you show you don't tell. Yeah, I think that's that's awesome. And, and from my perspective, just as an Iowa fan for really my whole life, it's it's funny to see Yulia come into this this spot because it feels like there have been the same three or four big writers within um, kind of the Iowa media complex for the last 10 to 15 years. And I think not only do you bring that position of empathy, not saying that um, a guy like Chad Lysakow or Scott Dockerman lack it, but I think that um, just the fresh perspective that you bring so newly out of school, um, having kind of that, that very embedded learning that um, some of these for, for lack of a better way to frame it, old white guys, middle-aged white guys, they're not, they're not all old. Um, but they, they've had to do quite a bit of soul searching, I think in terms of like um, just understanding what it means um, uh, from a, a race perspective. Uh, there was a, a situation, I'm not sure if you saw this in any of your research, but I was play-by-play broadcaster. Gary Dolphin was a... Um, he said something insensitive towards the end of a basketball game and uh, he didn't mean anything bad by it necessarily. Um, but it was a, a term that had some uh, epithet to it. And it, it really, in my view, kind of sprung board the, the racial reckoning within Iowa's media complex. Um, Morehouse, who you're filling in or taking over for, um, he had kind of a, what to do with Gary Dolphin pro con perspective, which I think was uh, a very interesting thing at that time from a couple of years ago. And I, I'm just very excited to have call it an outsider perspective, but someone who isn't, you know, born and raised in Iowa to come in and, and take a good hard look at, at what Iowa football is about. And, um, you know, maybe see if what they've said in the past is actually translating in, uh, in how they are acting in the future. So uh, I think, uh, I guess there's not really a question there, but uh, I guess, um, you know, yeah, I guess there's not really a question there. I guess I just kind of want to tee it up and just, you know, that fresh perspective that you have, um, you know, what, what else do you think you can, can bring from that view of, uh, you know, just someone different, someone from not Iowa. Yeah, I think when you put a fresh set of eyes on anything, um, you know, people see things differently. You question things, right? And so I saw a lot of that in Mason City. And that was, I think that's what allowed me to really grow as a writer was going to this place that was completely out of my comfort zone and so far from home. And sometimes I would just question things like, 
you know, why do your high, why does like high schools have two different athletic unions for boys and girls, right? Like that was unique to me because I'm used to the UIL in Texas. It's, you know, it's all encompassing. Um, I think Iowa is like one of two or three states to have its own athletic unions for girls and boys high school sports, which I thought was fascinating, wow. right? And like other people not from Iowa are not going to question that, right? Um, you know, there's, and then, you know, I did a story on like male cheerleaders at Central Springs High School. And I just thought it was very unique that in North Iowa, I was seeing boy cheerleaders. I think it's awesome. Right. And, um, this is just challenging a norm that we normally see that we normally don't see. And, um, turns out there was a huge history of Central Springs High School having boy cheerleaders. I thought that was amazing, you know, especially in a place that is like, you know, probably not as progressive as we think it's going to be. So, I mean, I'm going to be the that person where like, you know, I don't know everything about the Iowa football program. I'm going to tell you, like, I don't, I'm going to do my research. Right. But like, I, you know, I haven't been around for 22 years. I was caught in a Twitter thread with all the Iowa beat writers the other day. And they were talking about things that happened like 1994 and 92. And I was like, y'all realize I'm 25 years old. Right. <laughs> Um, but the thing is, is I'm going to look at something and be like, oh, well, why is it that way? And they're gonna be like, I don't know. It's just always been that way. And I'm like, but why? Right. And so, you know, there's these quite, I have those questions of why. And I think that that's, what's going to maybe produce some unique content. But I do know that like, what's really cool is that there's probably a reason why a lot of these beat writers have stuck around for all these years. Right. And I've, I've read some of them, you know, like Steve Batterson and Chad and like, I've read some of them since I've worked at the Globe Gazette. Right. And I have so much like deep respect for everybody on this beat. And I think, um, there's a lot to learn from them too. Um, but I think it's going to be interesting because I, you know, I, you know, I'm different. I think it's just going to be like weird because I'm not going to be this die hard. I know everything about Iowa Hawkeye football from 30 years, you know? Yeah, it's going to be, you're, you know, you're the only woman on the beat uh, in the first woman in five years um, because uh, the writer from happened uh, a while back just as I was leaving college. And I remember, you know, oh. I always said, um, sorry, what? I'm sorry, you cut out for a second. Oh, yeah, I was just saying, you know, you're the you're the only woman on the beat now and first one in five years um, was the last time there was a female beat uh, writer uh, on the Iowa beat. Uh, she was for the Burlington paper, I believe. I can't remember the name of the paper. Uh, and I and I sat next to her uh, when I was a student report, reporter with the Daily Iowa in the press box. And, you know, I could always just remember, you know, men were just sort of making obvious comments and thing things like that. And she always seemed to be like, the both of us it felt like we were coming, approaching the beat with a chip on our shoulder. Me, thinking, you know, me being 22, thinking I'm the best reporter in that whole press box for whatever freaking reason. And, you know, her, she was probably thinking she, the same thing. Um, and especially, you know, with the, the types of uh, atmosphere we've described w with this Iowa beat. Uh, and you, you mentioned that fresh perspective, uh, you know, how important that was. Uh, in 20, you know, in 2015, I remember I moved to Chicago and was a reporter with the Chicago Sun-Times. And like, first thing I asked was like, why don't you put ketchup on hot dogs and why is it called the L 
and uh, why does yeah, everybody? Hot dogs. <laughs> and... oh, I got I I some guy. I thought he was gonna beat me up at a Cubs game because I put ketchup on my hot dog. Uh, yeah, I'm like, why do the Cubs play in a high school baseball stadium? Like questions <laughs> like that. Um, you'll, you'll just get all those types of looks, and you know, I <clears throat> I'm sure you have a really strong backbone, and that will just make your reporting all the all the better for it. And uh, you know, I'm excited. Uh, for you know the, the perspective you'll you'll take on the beat, and I think uh, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure every beat reporter is from the state of Iowa too, um, off the top of my head, and you know that's going to be really important with your coverage, and that would make me excited to go. And I mean that's why you're a reporter. You you go and you get to the heart of the story, and you get having that you know you're not too deep into the to the weeds where you're not blinded by any type of uh, preconceived connotations or any type of stereotypes uh, that you have on the subject matter you're going to be writing on. I'm curious, you know, and I don't want to blow your plans, but like, is there anything, any pieces you're already like thinking about writing any, anything you've already done any pre-reporting on? I know you don't start for a couple of weeks, but like, uh, I remember I had like, 30 stories I wanted to write when I moved to the Sun Times and I got there and it's like, you're not going to be writing any of those. So, and, but I don't think it's going to be happening with you at the Gazette. They're going to let you um, really ha- do whatever you want. I, I think, you know, knowing very little what I know about that newsroom today, uh, but uh, you know, I, I guess, uh, is there anything you have circled in your uh, reporter's notebook yet? I do have things. Yeah. Um, I will not be revealing them. <laughs> um, y'all are just gonna have to subscribe and read. Oh, I um, do. Well, we do. So I, I hate to like, give away everything they're gonna say on Twitter and everything. Yeah. I'm I'm a firm believer in like, okay, I'm gonna put my content behind the paywall, right? Um, mm-hmm. so like even my own mother, she was like, I can't read this column about your hire, and I was like, you know, you're gonna have to subscribe to the Gazette, right? She's like, well, honey, can't can I just like you know, get, get this one column. Like you think I'm going to copy and paste that column for you for free? Absolutely not. (laughs) Your subscription is going to pay my salary. Yeah. Um, Reporter buy a newspaper. Yeah. Well, and so, but I will say is, um, I think one of the things they want me to focus on a little bit more or just add a little bit more coverage to is recruiting. Um, so I think that'll be a really fun, interesting thing to dive into, especially, you know, I get the whole off season um, to reinvent that coverage, make it more multimedia. I'm really excited about, you know, creating some things that are more interactive and not just writing. Right. And um, so that's kind of what I'm hoping to do in the off season. And, um, you know, I'm, I think it would be exciting to add more multimedia content to the Gazette. That's really what trying to focus on is not just having articles, but, you know, probably starting a podcast, right? Doing some video, doing no, some No, 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 you can't do that. Oh, no. <laughs> come on, don't come on inside. Um, you know, uh, I think that's what I, that, like, that's my goal is to kind of reinvent this beat, right? And, um I think it is going to be, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be an adventure. I'm not going to say that I'm going to be perfect from day one. Um, but I came into my final interview with the Gazette with several story ideas and an entire beat plan. And I think that's what ultimately led me to land this job is how detailed it was. And um, so 
Yeah. And I think you talked about, you touched on the fact that I am a woman and, you know, I am walking into a beat that is predominantly male and like, mm-hmm. that's fine. That's like the entire industry. Right. And yeah. I, yeah. you know, I was the kind of girl growing up where I'd go over to my like girlfriend's houses and I'd talk to their dads about football, you know, like, and I was at the lunch table arguing with guys till I was blue in the face about like why they were wrong. And, um, you know, I, I have no issue being the only woman in a, in a press box. It's something that I'm comfortable with. And the only issue is to me is like, I wish there were more women. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, um, I think we do add a different perspective with a more diverse um, with more diverse reporters and that's different colors, different genders, whatever, you know, um, so I'm really excited and honored that I'm paving a way for also young women in beat writing, right? Cause this is a, a beat that is, it's, um, you know, it's maybe it's not as female oriented, you know, there's not a lot of women in it. And so I think it's like, I'm, I'm flattered. I'm honored. And not to say I got this job because I am a woman, cause that's definitely not true, but I think that. Um, I'm hopeful that maybe more women are interested in beat writing as a result, right? Or maybe I'm able to help more women get to this level in their career. And there's so many women that I have looked up to in this industry who can help me and who can guide me into being a college football beat writer. Yeah, you, you mentioned kind of the the influences that you've had. I know that... Um, Sorry, I might have the name wrong right offhand. Melissa Isaacson, is that someone who helped you out with um, your Odessa story? Um, I guess, would you like to go a little more at length about her and maybe some of the other influences that you've had, but her especially since she was, um, uh, you know, your mentor throughout your your reporting for your senior project or your your graduate project, my bad. Yeah, no. So she she's actually a University of Iowa grad, which is kind of cool. Um, but she was one of my professors at Medill. And, um, you know, she's worked for ESPN. She worked for the Chicago Tribune. She covered the Bulls when, you know, Michael Jordan was playing for them. And she's covered the Bears. And, um, you know, in many ways, she's pioneering in Chicago sports coverage, right, as a woman. And so um, I think you know, I took three of her classes. The first one was the Medill Explorers, which is where we went to LA right before the pandemic and covered a bunch of professional sports there. And then um, I took her sports reporting class during the pandemic and I wrote about women's sports. And then I had her for my advisor for my master's project. And the thing about Melissa is she is an incredibly tough editor, um, like brutal, um, red ink everywhere. And she really pushes you to get every single detail right. And that was something that I needed. Um, You know, I needed the rigorous editing because I wanted to grow as a writer and I wanted to grow as a reporter. Um, So she taught me a lot through just how rigorous of an editor she was and, um, you know, where to do your research. And she was also just somebody that I could lean on when I wasn't feeling too great. You know, this summer I had, um, I was working on my master's project. I had to do it remotely. So I didn't get to go to Odessa, right? And um, just because of liability reasons with the university, like they didn't want us doing in-person reporting in a pandemic, which I get. But, you know, it's hard to just make phone calls. I have certainly been to Odessa, but I haven't been there this year. Right. Um, So that was tough. And then there were times where like 
I mean, over the summer, my bike got stolen and my cat died in the same week. Oh, Kid gosh. you not. Mm. And I was like, you know what, Melissa, I am losing it. Like, this is just not a good week of reporting for me. And she was like very understanding. So she's, you know, um, I think that she's both inspiring to me because she's also written a book and I want to write a book someday. Well, she's written like three books, several books. Um, I want to write books someday. Um, and she's taught me a lot about, you know, being factually correct and being, um, and you know, how to word sentences, how to better organize my writing. I mean, really that's, um, that's kind of, she pushes you and that's what I needed. You mentioned, I didn't realize, so Jay Donde's instructor, uh, at Mendel, um, where, when you were there, did you live in Evanston or did you live in Chicago? Chicago. The grad school's downtown. Oh, it is? I didn't even know that. Where, what part of Chicago? Uh, What part of Chicago did you live in then? I was in Wicker Park. Um, And now I'm in Lincoln Park um, before I leave for Iowa. (laughs) Oh, okay. I didn't didn't realize you're still there. Okay, I live. Yeah, I'm still in Chicago. (laughs) That's funny. I'm in Wicker Park now and I used to live in Lincoln Park. Um, That's hilarious. I'm, I'm curious, I guess. When you were when you're going to school in such a big sports media town, I've had a lot of friends um, go to Medill, and I think his senior project was in, or his gosh his graduate project here. So you have me screwed up. He just, he just went to a um, a basketball court in Chicago, a public court, and just sat there and interviewed people uh, on camera for weeks at a time, and that that's just really interesting. Uh, you know, in, in Iowa, you're not going to be getting all the foot traffic, all the stories, all the things like that you're going to have to be doing. You're going to have to go and hunt for them. What is there something that you're really proud of that you've written that you you felt like you had the golden ticket to, that nobody, either a scoop you had or an idea you had, like uh, something that you can bring, um, a, 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 I don't want to say gold digger, what's the prospector's mentality uh, to the beat? Um. So something I wrote in Chicago while at Medill. Anything. Hmm. Um, so anything I've written in the past. Um, I mean, um, I think, you know, when I was in grad school, some of the things that I covered were different. I did a little bit of news writing um, and healthcare reporting in the Southwest side of Chicago, which um, in little village specifically, which was, um, a Mexican immigrant community. So that was a very challenging thing for me. Um, but it was something that it was another place in which I learned empathy and I learned how to be around people who were sharing very intimate stories and make them comfortable with me being there and listening to them, even not speaking their language fully. Um, that was a huge thing. Um, I was very proud of the work that I was able to do in that sense. Um, um, when it came to sports, I noticed that Chicago being a sports town, every team has like a dedicated set of fan bars. Um, so there are oh, like, yeah. there are Iowa Hawkeye bars. There was the Texas bar. You know, there's a Cowboys bar. There's, you know, there's like multiple. And I, I love that there were these little like tiny communities um, coming together to watch game. So I went to a Kansas City Chiefs bar, um, one of two of them in the city. And I just went and I was like, I want to know what it's like to experience like different team bars. And I just went as like a flat on the wall and hung out with these people over by the 
over just like at the front of the bar and, you know, talk with them the entire game. And they bought, they bought me food. They bought me like drinks. I was like borderline drunk getting out of there. You know, (laughs) I was like really, you know, diving in. I don't know if y'all know, like Charlotte Wilder, like she's done those experience pieces, you know, like I think there's one where she went to a Cleveland Browns game and, um, you know, kind of just experienced all the fans. And I just wanted to do that. So that was, that was a fun piece for me. I wrote about the Kansas city chiefs bar. And then I went to the Seattle Seahawks bar after that. And it was, it was a totally different atmosphere with a totally different set of traditions. And I talked more to them about like, how did you claim your bar here? Right. Cause Kansas city, it's in the Midwest. Right. Um, but how do you get a bunch of Seattle Seahawks fans in Chicago and then rally them together at a single bar? And so I thought that these were two fun, lighthearted stories that anybody would want to engage with, right? You know, these are these are stories that, like, you know, I'm interested in reading. So um, I was very proud of, like, find, like, you know, that was, again, looking at something that, you know, everybody's familiar with in Chicago. But for me, it was more like, this is something super special that is not necessarily everywhere else, you know? Um, and so I, I hope that I can find those kinds of stories on the Iowa beat. And I think as far as like fan stories, I love fan stories. Um, you know, I have like, part of me is like, why sit in the press box? Right. Like, why not just sit with the people at Kinnick, right? I want to experience a game at Kinnick, right? Like, I even wanted to go to a game when I was working in Iowa. Unfortunately, the only Iowa stadium I've been to is Jack Trice. So uh, there's my dig there. Uh, (laughs) I want to do that kind of story if that's allowed, right? Um, So I think that's – I don't know if I answered your question, but those are what I'm proud of. And I did do a really great story. I think one of the best stories I wrote was at the Globe Gazette. And it was about, um, a lot of people remember it actually. Um, but it was about this, um, girl whose dad was dying of cancer and she was running for a school, um, out of our coverage range, but she was in Osage where, which is one of the schools that I cover for a track meet. And the, school had allowed the van with her dad in it to kind of drive up on the straightaway of the track to watch her race because he couldn't be outside in the elements with everybody else, given that he was so sick. Um, And she didn't know. So she ran this race and all of a sudden, like she sees her dad and she by no means was winning the race. You know, she wasn't even in the front pack. And then afterwards she runs up and she gets to see her dad and like leans into the car and like me being a cancer survivor and also losing my dad to cancer. I'm just like sitting there like so emotional. And, um, but you know, the Osage athletic director told me about the plans to do this. And he was like, I don't know if they'll let you tell the story, but you should try. And so, you know, I went over to the coach. I said, I think this is an amazing story. And I realized like how sensitive of a topic is, but will you please give this girl my number? you know? And she called me like three days later, she called me and she was like, hi, I was told like you wanted to talk to me. And, you know, we've kept in touch all this time too. I've never met her in person because I didn't talk to her in person that night. Um, so I hope I get to meet her soon. <laughs> but um, I think she's actually in Iowa City, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that was that was a story that touched everybody, right? It was something that we could all relate to. Like, you know, 
how, and especially during this time, we're all losing so many people in our lives. And I can't, you know, people can't imagine losing their parents and stuff. And they recognize how deep and how special that relationship is. And so um, that's probably one of my most proud stories. Well, that's cool. You know, I don't think there'll be any shortage of that uh, in Iowa at all. And, uh, you know, I'm really excited to, to, to see what you bring to the beat. It's, it's funny. I remember one of the best things I've read in the last five years, I think it was John Greenberg for the athletic. He, he went to the bills bar to Lila's last year when the bills were trying to get into the playoffs. And uh, that one stuck with me also because Delilah's was my favorite bar. Um, what is the chiefs bar here? You went to tunes. Oh, tunes up on uh, that's up North in like it's off of Southport. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Tunes mm-hmm. bar and grill. Uh, mm-hmm. Great. People. And I hope it survives the pandemic. I haven't checked in, but um, gosh, they were fun. They were really fun people. Yeah, underrated bar, really good food, underrated wings. Really um, great food, really mm-hmm. great food. Something, you know, that we miss during the pandemic is just all the sort of micro communities in Chicago and all the, you know, as you mentioned, the, the, the special little bars that make them make them up. Um, do you know, I'm curious now, are you going to be living in Cedar Rapids or Iowa City? I actually think I just found an apartment in Coralville. Okay. It's probably so, I guess. Um, yeah. yeah. Cool. Did you? I don't really have anything else um, written down. Harrison, did you? I, I think um, we, we've kind of talked past it, but I think it, it was very interesting for me to, to read a little bit about you, Leah, and, and that you started as a biology major. Um, it seemed like you maybe took a, a journalism class offhand. I, I'm just curious how you went from you know, being that biology major into being a journal- journalism major, you know, having a job in journalism and, and continuing your career uh, down that path. Um, just kind of the, the, the complete 180, that is, if you will. It's a long-winded story, um, but in a nutshell, I'll try to make it short. Uh, you know, I, so I had cancer at age 15, um, and I was a high school athlete. And I grew up watching football. So I've always been like a sports gal. Um, and, you know, I kept a health blog and um, just to update people and be like, I'm still alive. And by the way, here's my criticism of the Dallas Cowboys and the Texas Longhorns, the Michigan Wolverines. So I ended up blogging mostly about football. And, and so people were like, so like, Leah, you doing okay? I'm like, yeah, I puked five times today, but like, here's my sports stuff. Um, but, uh, sports has kind of always been this thing. And especially growing up at a place where high school football was so prominent, I just felt like it just brought people together in the most special way. And I, I needed that, you know, it was my family and, um, these people gave me support through football. And, um, you know, I ultimately made it out of my illness and like, you know, I really cherish my high school, like watching football experience, Um, but you know, when you are a cancer survivor, there's that pressure to like go into healthcare, right? Like it is my duty to save everyone else's lives. And, um, you know, I've always, I was graduated like the top 7% of my class. And so, you know, people said I was smart. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I tried to be smart. I worked hard. Um, but yeah, I told my mom, I was like, I think I really want to be a sports journalist. And 
part of the reason was I was actually written about in Sports Illustrated because at the time we had this top uh, running back recruit at my high school and he would visit me in the hospital. His name was Jonathan Gray. He later went on to play at Texas. And unfortunately, I think he tore both of his Achilles. Um, So anyway, he was the Gatorade player of the year award winner. Like just, he was a big deal and he would come visit me all the time in the hospital and Sports Illustrated called and they were like, we want to know if this is true. We want to know if this guy's like really who, who he is. And I was like, yeah, you know, and I think he said in a post game interview that he was like, I was one of his inspirations on the field. And that's kind of what led to the, that was the lead. And so, um, yeah, I saw that article written about Jonathan and I, and I thought that's, those are the kinds of stories that I want to tell. I want to tell the stories that make people cry, you know, um, the ones that touch people's hearts. And so I told my mom I want to be a sports journalist and she was like, you're going to end up a bartender. Like, this is not the same career. Um, so I go to college and I'm majoring in biology, you know, grinding through all those tough pre-med classes and you know, when you really, really enjoy something, you give your absolute all. And when it came to biology, like I was doing enough to make the B plus, right? Um, but I wasn't doing enough to make the A's. And I couldn't figure out why. And then I joined the student newspaper and I realized that I was putting all of my effort and all of my work into the student newspaper because I absolutely loved it because I absolutely wanted nothing else but to be on a football field or a track for the rest of my life and or a volleyball court, whatever. And so, yeah, I sought out a journalism class, took it and then applied to, you know, jobs around the country. And that's how I've ultimately landed where I am now and going to grad school because I finally got that journalism education and um, the ability to or kind of, um, you know, the opportunity to make mistakes and only get like a bad grade, right? And not like get published. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I I think if you love something and if you have a dream, you go after it with absolutely all of your might. And you know, if I didn't, if it didn't work out for me, I was going to fall back on science. And I'm not necessarily saying that I was going to go to med school because I probably wouldn't get into med school. But um, you know, there was there's opportunities in that field too. But if I did not go after my dream, I wasn't going to forgive myself. And so that's how I have landed here today. Well, I, that, that's awesome, Leah. I, I'm I'm glad to get a little bit more color from just kind of reading the the A to B story uh, online. So so thank you for sharing that. Um, I, I really don't have any other questions. Um, ben, it sounds like sounds like you're clear. I guess. This is maybe your opportunity, Leah. I don't know if you wanted to ask any questions about us or, uh, you know, get get a, a, maybe some understanding of Iowa, even though we've both been a while since we've been to the state. Um, but just uh, anything that, that you have for us? Um, you know, I'd ask, you know, the best, like, bars or, like, food places in Iowa City and Cedar Rapids. But, man, we're in a pandemic. Uh, but if I'm ordering takeout, in Iowa City, y'all gotta tell me where to where to get the best food. So, I want some food wrecks. I don't even know what's still open. The takeout actually, um, Wigan Pan was my favorite pizza, and that's in Coralville. So you'll get that for sure. I mean, honestly, even like the the year after I left down to you know Iowa Clinton Avenue looked Clinton Street, geez, looked completely different than in the Ped Mall. It's completely different than when. I went there, Harrison. I, you've been there more recently, I think. 
Yeah, it's tough for me. I, I know the the one place that because I mean I'm I don't spend as much time as I'd like to there, uh, but. Um, there is a really good Chinese place that my dad lives by. I will get the name of that for you if you're a big Chinese person. Um, and then, <laughs> and then uh, the one place I know it's it's not Texas barbecue, but I think it's Jimmy Jack's is my family's favorite oh, yeah. barbecue in, in Iowa City. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think we, we did a, a food bracket uh, a year or two back um, for the site. That might be something that we can point you to. Hopefully the places are still around, um, mm-hmm. but those are maybe the two. And then you're going to have to make a stance on Poncheros versus Chipotle. That'll yeah. be uh, oh, something. Oh, I already know. I already know. Yeah. Chipotle's you, better. Sorry, y'all. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, no, you're right. Um, but Chipotle can't make queso, so there's that. Uh, so you can just get Valdita yourself somewhere. <laughs> Uh, people t- tell you about shorts. That's Nate Cating owns that yeah. place. I think he didn't he open a barbecue place too recently, Harrison. It could oh be boy. wrong. He, um, yeah, Nate Cating's turned into quite the um, entrepreneur. I think he may have like started like the tailgate um, brand that uh, American Eagle bought out. Um, so maybe maybe there's something there uh, for human interest to to understand just like all the tentacles that Nate Kading has in, in Iowa City. I know it's quite a bit. Um, I was because he had shorts in Stella, but Stella may have closed. That was a, a more highfalutin place, yeah. if, if I recall. Yeah, you mentioned Leah that you you're a big fan of Wright Thompson. I was lucky enough to spend some time with him actually when he was reporting on Dan Gable uh, for ESPN oh, magazine. Man. That story's um, great. It's great. And so I actually, I, the book I'm reading right now is his newest book on bourbon. And he had mm-hmm. like a virtual Zoom call on it, facilitated through Prairie Lights, a local bookstore. And Nate Kading was on the call too. And he was sort of like the handler between Wright Thompson and um, the distiller uh, in Prairie Lights. And uh, it was just funny to see him on there. He was basically t- answering, taking all the questions, reading them to write. Um, and he, yeah, he's a definitely a presence in Iowa City as, you know, famous alumni often are everywhere um in college campuses um just in iowa you know we'll get the kicker and (laughs) um you know that's just sort of how it goes but you know i'm really excited for you and it's funny you know i went to iowa as a business school major and i fell into journalism because i failed math um (laughs) and then uh uh, and, you know, journalism, uh, writing, you know, I took a one-off freshman journalism course and that sort of guided my my way towards it. Uh, you know, unfortunately now I'm a recovering journalist. Uh, it's just sort of, you know, the, the nature of the beast. And uh, so it'll be exciting to watch your career. And um, we just have to say go Hawks, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we have I to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm supposed like to said, be no cheering in the press box, boys. No cheering in the press box. Yeah, hopefully Iowa doesn't play Mississippi State anytime soon. I know there was some cheering in the press box at the Outback Bowl two or three years ago. That was and uh the LSU. I covered the LSU Outback Bowl in 2014, and freaking LSU B reporter grabbed my bicep because he was so freaking excited. It's <laughs> just um. That's funny. Get- I know beat writers who cover Mississippi State and LSU, but they would never do that. <laughs> so it's probably not them. <laughs> Maybe. You don't know. People really show their true colors in the moment, especially after, gosh, who was the Iowa player that pulled the Deshaun Jackson and threw the, threw the ball 
before we cross the goal line. Oh, you're this is a deep pull. I, I can't, yeah, I can't remember. remember. It was, oh, it, well, it must it had to be Amir Smith Marset. No, it was a safety. This is in 2014. Oh, it was 2014. Yeah, it was a big Oh, gosh. Ooh. And Mark, Mark Wiseman scored three plays later, but didn't, doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, anyways, th- thanks so much, Leah. Uh, really, really appreciated you joining us. Can't wait to, to read you. Um, is, I guess, your Twitter, Twitter handle is it LVANN underscore sports? Yep, that's correct. Yeah, right. down me already. I do have one question I we didn't get to. Uh, what is your opinion on Wildcat formation? Uh, hmm, that's a tough question. That's the most innovative thing I was done. And it only took us 15, <laughs> ye- it only took us 15 years to get into it. And um, we saw it to great success this year. I mean, it definitely spices things up, you yeah. know. And mm-hmm. I think a little bit of black um, pepper. I think that's like some... You know, that's something that maybe the not just Isla, but a lot of Big Ten teams need to do. To, maybe. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, uh, go, thanks again, uh, and, and we'll we'll see you at the Gazette. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, thanks, y'all. Thank you. This was fun.